to instituting universal basic income, 2020 Democrats are just not seeing straight. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Every Saturday from 3 to 6, we are regular live Saturday afternoon show again. I am here with my trusty sidekick producer, Binkley. How are you doing, Binkley? I'm great. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the <laughs> news of the past few days. The Mueller probe. Oh, my gosh. I've been dying to see what the Mueller probe says. Oh, my gosh. Everything we've been waiting for. I'm so excited. I. Uh, it's so funny because what was that Brian Stetler? The Stelter. CNN, Stelter. He's, what was his quote? You tweeted me something, texted me something yesterday. He tweeted that you know it's a big day and it's important when CNN is streaming news live from their website. So, and the news was? That the Mueller report had been, it was done. That was it. This, but it wasn't released. It wasn't released. It so was just done. there was done. no actual information. Yeah. Vital speculation <laughs> we were getting right there on the website. Well, I mean, that's just, show, this is taking this kabuki theater, this ridiculousness to a whole new level. And I would like to blame the left exclusively for this, the CNN side. I don't even want to call them left and right. It's the CNN side. But. I have very strong suspicion, and I'd like to know if you agree with me, that when Attorney General Bill Barr releases his summary of it or whatever form of it he releases, it will be so ambiguous that both sides will feel both frustrated and vindicated, and the fighting will go on and on. Absolutely. It will be enough to make the left believe that there was absolutely collusion, but that the system is so broken that there were no laws to stop it. So they have to change the system. And then the right is going to say, well, nobody else. They're already saying it. Nobody was indicted. There were no crimes found. So that is in a, a not guilty is an innocent. Yes. It's and innocent. everybody's going to be doing fantastic on the campaign fundraising because oh, I got like sides. 40 emails yeah. yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Begging $10 to save no, this country. This, this just shows like what a heightened it's it's getting it's it's that thing where like it's just so frantic all the time. It doesn't even have any value. Do you have handy the thing that you showed me that you got an email about how the world is going to end or whatever if this doesn't come through? The email, the there email that I got email. Email. Don't you have to read the email, but you got this email from Indivisible, which, right, or whatever the. Yeah, any... I got it right here. Okay, so just if it, if it's short, what, let's have it. It says, just because a report is completed doesn't mean we will ever get to see it, which is why we need you to act immediately and, and then in all caps, demand that Trump release it. Everything... And we mean everything will come down to this very second in time. Everything we rise up and demand that we either get to see the full report in its entirety or Trump and his Department of Justice could bury it forever. Finding out the truth about Trump's Russian ties depends on what we do right now. And then it goes on to talk about how either way they're going to be doing a bunch of investigations in the House of Representatives anyway. So everything comes down to this one second in time. 
And what's really amazing to me, this what it all it all distills down. I don't want to skip the steps that got me here, but it all distills down. It's just like the Supreme Court justice frenzy. Like we can never do away with the two-party system because the Supreme Court and what both of these scenarios. So so they're freaking out because there might have been something screwy during the campaign process, election process, not that there aren't always lots of screwy things, such as billions of dollars flowing into the political coffers. Yeah, they asked for money right at the end of that email. That's... Yeah, it's all, but even, but even just the fact that where the money goes, where it comes from, what it's for, all of it is oh, the, that media outlets are in bed with political interests, whether you see them or not. They're not necessarily partisan. There's all sorts of screwy stuff. And the idea is to focus completely on these details, just like the Kenyan birther thing or the hanging chat. And if Hillary had gotten in, it would have been illegal voters. And if Cruz had gotten in, it would have been his Canadian birth. There's all this stuff about the legitimacy of the presidency. And that is supposed to have these massive implications like, oh, my gosh, we have a choice here between a totalitarian dictatorship of Lucifer himself and Gandhi and pure bliss. So that's really what was at stake. And if only we can get to the bottom of it, we can go back. When in reality, the welfare warfare super state has reached the perfect compromise in both the Republican and Democrat parties, even to the point where I think they're I think the Republicans actually like being number two so they can act like they're defending, fighting the good fight. But then we we just I think February marked a record federal deficit, a federal deficit that has never been so high. And the left will be quick to say it's from Trump's tax cuts. But the reality is his budget is out of control. Their budgets are out of control. These guys are not minding the store. It does not matter. And ultimately, like with the Supreme Court thing, what it really comes down to is, do these people really have that much power? And should they? Is that really what this is about, that we we still have an autocrat, a king? We just get to perhaps and perhaps not elect or select that person every so often? I mean, is that is it is it not the fact that it just means there's too much power at the top? I think there's a lot of power at the top, <laughs> and both sides are convincing that it's the other side that has concentrated it. But I actually think, and this is where this whole story, like, pushes the the limits of my instinct, which is I don't believe that the power lies in the individual anyway. I don't believe it. So I've said this a million times, but I'll say it again. I mean, if you look at Trump's backstory, if you look at his personal skill set, if you look at his affiliations, you can see that he's not some ideological or you can... it doesn't make sense to think that he is an ideological crusader, a, a lone wolf Batman who's there to save the world. It's more likely that the people he has been in bed with in the past, Rothschilds, Soros, Zucker, the casino guys, the you know cement guys in New York, that and he, going back in his family too, that there is a power above the parties and and they want stuff. And they're they're behind this stuff. And one uh, and so so 
sure, there's partisanship going on here where there are true believers on both sides. There's no question about that. And there are implications on how the five families divide up the corner corners. Like that's my analogy for this. It's like it's all a big mob and they do care who gets what, like which family's bigger. But ultimately, the people behind that, above that, as laid out in Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, the people who are above the parties, they want something. And when I see when I see where this is coming out and that neither side is really making a good argument to stand by our rights, what they really want is two things, in my opinion. They want to get rid of the Electoral College. They want to change the way our voting is. They want to federalize it. They want to popularize it. Uh, ultimately, I would think to corrupt it. Uh, and again, the fact that the vote is so powerful is a sign that the American experiment has failed or is failing in that we're supposed to have objective rights. The, gover- the government is supposed to have uh, be limited with, with the protections of rights. So, and then the second thing that I think they're after here, which took a backseat this week, but is always in the background, was big last week, is a complete censorship of social media, control of the political discourse, limits to what you can say, what you can't say. When they talk about suppressing, they openly, openly talk about suppressing, quote, conspiracy theories on YouTube, Facebook, all, all across the board. Conspiracy theories are what accusations of corruption always are. And here we're talking about collusion. It's always a conspiracy, right? It's always a behind-closed-doors agreement among people to do something without telling people their real motives. I mean, everything's a conspiracy, right? Like just talking to your spouse about how to punish your kids is a conspiracy. Your boss is talking about what bonus gave you. But I'm talking about like when you talk about conspiracy theories, it's about looking at the power behind the scenes and what they're really after. And that's a political discussion that goes to the corruption of both parties. So when they suppress that, so so I'm saying that this whole Mueller thing, the whole Russian collusion thing is the two policy issues that they are trying to uh, affect with these are to to control the voting in a way that will corrupt it and neutralize it. And then to control the discourse similarly so they can direct it, control it, limit it. And I want to get into what's so – so so you hear this stuff. Now, Elizabeth Warren, we have a clip of her, but this is – you've got many examples, Binkley, of how they want to change voting, especially eliminating the Electoral College. So I want to talk about why why that's good or bad, what – why do you want to defend or eliminate the Electoral College? Give me a call, 800-WSB-TALK, or you can call me 404-872-0750 or tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice here on WSB. So we're talking about the Mueller report and... It hasn't been released yet. I'm absolutely, but but the probe supposedly is over. I'm absolutely convinced that 
what we will get from Attorney General Barr will be something that will foment <laughs> uh, distrust and this conflict rather than quell it. And actually, with with the Hillary private server thing, I absolutely thought it was a nothing burger. I really... I'm a big defender of due process when it comes to protecting your rights. But when when the when the crime people are going bananas about is is a process thing or like a cover up thing, she didn't follow the rules and the implications of that, the dangers of that is bad. Okay, well then you have to say did something did she actually use it for nefarious purposes? And that that would have been a legitimate argument. But I, I was just not impressed by the reaction to the private server thing. This, I mean, there isn't even, as as Hillary would say, there's no there there. I, I don't think there's anything to this Russian collusion thing at all. I don't think they've, I mean, it seems like a purely fabricated issue. Therefore... It doesn't matter that whether it's resolved or not because they won't accept the outcome. Like the the people who feel that there is something there. Do you do you have that Binkley that um, Chris Matthews clip handy? Can you do it real quick? Is that too quick to ask? And a short. I don't have it on. No, that's all right. I told you I didn't want it. But Chris Matthews actually says. Can you believe that no further indictments have come out of this, despite the fact that there were all those meetings with the Russians? And it, it just he, he's saying that the evidence is there. He's absolutely not accepting that there doesn't seem to be any uh, answer to that, that that there's no implications to that. It was like the Jeff Sessions thing. He's like, oh, are you saying that I shook the hand of an ambassador who is at the the convention like i don't even remember that but yeah whatever i mean i guess that means i have to recuse myself i don't know you know he laughed he was like that's ridiculous but if that's how you want if you want to read into which shows how ridiculous this stuff is to the point where can you really say that democracy is the end all and be all of wisdom and justice when when here's where uh when when this is what it it leads to this this illogic this emotionalism it, yeah give us give us the Matthews clip clip if you can bring it up real quick there will be no further indictments that means no charges against the president his children or his associates after all those meetings with the Russians <laughs> after all the crimes they committed they will not be punished that's what's going on after here. this all is a news meetings. Man. After all those meetings, this is a newsman. Anyway, so I want to, I'm happy to get to your calls, but I also want to get into, so should we trust Mueller? You want to trust Mueller on this? 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Wow, that was intense. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. Carrying voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6 live today obviously you can call we're talking about uh the Mueller report and what i think are the real purposes of this idea that the trump election was illegitimate and influenced by a foreign power i believe i think this is above the party so i don't expect either party to do anything but serve this end and the ends are going to be 
the elections are federalized or the electoral college is abolished uh, or whatever destroys any, you know, diminishes the answerability of the uh, federal elected officials. And then I also think, and I think this is actually going to be more significant, a complete control of the political debate so that anybody who seems fringy and in an increasingly centralized, mediocre world, liberty's fringy, right? Isn't that what Barry Goldwater said, that the fanaticism or whatever, immoderation, extremism and defense of liberty is no vice and moderation and giving it up is no virtue, so something like that. That wasn't perfect. But anyway, so I'm just saying these guys, they they are anything that sounds so-called radical is going to be eliminated from the political discourse. And all of this just goes to allowing and ushering in of a new society. So even the Green New Deal and infrastructure and this basic income is all about a vision, seems to me, a vision for a highly controlled society. And that is not going to be a democratic society. It's not going to be a society where labor markets and wage markets and prices and capital all clear naturally according to supply and demand. That is that is not going to happen. So we can't have a have a say in it because it's going to be technocracy a technical technical society run by experts i mean that this has been the plan for probably 100 years and or more and i think that's what it's all about i actually think the whole question of the electoral college and the basic income dovetail uh binkley i want i'm going to take these calls because i think they've been on a while we had a little problem with the calls um i want to talk about i want to get some tweets i want to I want to dig in a little bit to whether or not we should take any of the stuff that we're hearing on the Mueller probe at face value. But I, I do want to talk a little bit over the discussion about electoral college. Maybe we go back and forth. I'm going to go to Amanda. Amanda, you are on with Monica. Hi, Amanda. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. And I'm very happy you're back. I've missed oh, you. Great. Thank you. Well, I think I'm here for for a while, at least till the end of the summer. So Saturdays three yeah. to six here, I'm yours. Excellent. Well, I was calling in regards to the Electoral College. When I heard that Warren had said we need to get rid of it, I'm like, Yeah, no, that's the one <laughs> thing we should not get rid of because that's the only reason certain states would ever see anybody. You know, I yes. mean it's just it's just beyond ridiculous to think that they would get rid of it. The founding fathers created that to help make sure that the little states didn't get ignored. If they do get rid of it, basically it's going to be California, Illinois, and New York, and maybe Florida that are going to vote in anybody who's going to be in the White House. And that's absurd. So let's take another step and say, then what happens? So, so it's clear after a couple of cycles that only that that those urban centers are really deciding all of the federal elections. And I wonder at that point, I mean, the Electoral College is tied to the number of congressmen and the senators. The senators yeah. are equally they're saying it's unbalanced because smaller states like Rhode Island have three electoral votes 
or Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Because, but that really is based on the fact that the senators are also out of balance. So I wouldn't be surprised if the next step is to change the senatorial composition to also be weighted popularly. But let's just take this one step further and say, okay, so these important positions in the federal government are occupied solely by people favored by the urban centers. Then what happens, do you think? Let's just do a thought experiment. Well, personally, I think we need to go back to how the senators once were sent Uh, to Washington, and that's have the states send them. They are not supposed to represent the people. They're supposed to represent the states. So it's already out of balance for that one reason and one reason only. The people in Congress screwed up with that particular <laughs> amendment. But, oh, heck, that's just me. So yeah, they um, did. And that and the purpose, if you read, if you go back and you read, I think I first like saw this in Alexander de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, where he said this is so brilliant because you have the popular representation in Congress, which is where you get a lot of those electoral votes. But then on the Senate level, and uh, you get this uh, a, a more answerable professional class of people who supposedly are maybe better educated is how they looked at it. But I say these are people who can can spend all their time looking at government instead of what happens when you elect it popularly we are so easily manipulated because either we're easily distracted or we're brainwashed in school or we're just working too hard and if you're going to have an empire instead of a truly limited government how can you uh how can and and all you get is media that's controlled by the media you know that's the only information how are you going to be able to impart a checks and balance so there's no checks and balances left you might not might as well not even have a senate if it's elected the exact same way as congress so well and especially given the fact that they go up there they go to washington and in six years they get voted in again and again and again and they become permanent people there and that's ridiculous i think as term limits for everybody well, one this term is, period this is, this is also a problem in that the uh that the money and this would be worse i believe if you if you went just to the urban centers that the money they would need more money because they would have to campaign more broadly this is my understanding of it this is what the common wisdom is that's not always right but right now they really only have to go to the swing states and people are like well that means that the swing states are overrepresented but my feeling is the swing states aren't really overrepresented it shakes out so that there are only swing states because enough of the country is satisfied with the democrats or the republicans representing them that their states aren't really in flux. And that is a reflection of the parties trying to appease them so that only in those swing states, the swing states are kind of perforce the clearing house for what the middle is. Now, I'm not I'm not a middle person. I, I believe that all of this democracy stuff should take a back seat. I don't care about the nature of the republic or the representation or whatever. It's not that I don't care about it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying it should all take a backseat to limited government and objective defined rights that are inviolable and fully protected. So the Supreme Court or the president or even Congress 
would not have the kind of power that is throwing people into a frenzy if the 10 First Amendments, the Bill of Rights, were strictly adhered to. Even the Trump, uh, you know, (laughs) victims of Trump mania would would have an out because the 10th Amendment is there to let California be California, you know, but they don't want that. They're not focusing on the right thing. They're focusing on power and how to make sure they have it. And on either side, that's a dangerous thing. So I, I believe that the that they would continue. It would just I think it would uh, uh, overburden the money thing. But there's another step I, I really want to get into. What would really think about it and call me what would really happen after a few cycles of a pure popular election, assuming the president is as powerful as this makes it feel like he is. And I'm, I'm going to go to Jonathan. Jonathan, you're on with Monica. Are you there? I, yeah, I'm here. Okay, but, go. Well, I think well, voting, we all, voting is fun and boring, but we all have to do it. And why, why do we all have to do it? Maybe you don't want it. Maybe you don't feel qualified. That's right. And how do we get qualified? Like, how do you feel that you do you like having do you want a popular vote? Do you feel do you feel like the populace is the most informed, best uh, source like for the senators used to be that the legislators were kind of professional politicians. I'm not sure that's better, you know, but I'm just saying like this push that you should vote, 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 vote. We have such a big unwieldy government. I almost feel like. It's inconsistent with a with a democracy. Voting is probably, yeah. you know, are we really all qualified for it? Yeah. So, do you like the electoral college or the popular vote? What's your What's your preference? Vote. No, you just said the first one. The the popular vote. All right. Well, yeah. here's the thing: the popular vote. It. it I don't the democracy the democratic act of voting should not be so powerful that people are terrified at the result. And I believe that the founders had a healthy fear of pure populism as being very easy not not just to get to sell out the the large minority to the slight majority. It's not just that. It's that when you get into populism and demagoguery, where you get to the people and you just want to brainwash them or make them promises, you get to where all you have to do is control the media or, um, or give them money. And, and I, I have a, I, I'm going to take a couple more calls, but I have a feeling I know, well, I shouldn't say I know, I have a suspicion of what might happen if we did get a popular vote. After a couple of cycles, I think you would see a massive social shift, and I'll tell you what it is after the break. Uh, 404-872-0750, 800 wsb or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show, and I'm going to get it to Maurice and to John. John thinks that the popular vote will lead to communism. I really want to hear about that. I, I have my objection. I, I know what I think the popular vote will lead to. I really want to hear it more recent, John. After the break, uh, this is Monica Perez. It's Eric Von Hessler. Entertaining, honest. Independent thinker. Listen weekdays 9 to noon right here on WSB. 
This is Monica Perez. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. I'm going to try to get these two calls in my short segment. Maurice, you're on with Monica. Uh, Keep it to a minute. Can you do that, Maurice? Uh Uh-oh. I can't hear you, Maurice. Um, Can you hear me? Yes. Go. Okay, great. Um, I think you need to consider what the real reason for the Mueller report was. And that was, I mean, because if you look at how flimsy the whole thing is, you would wonder why they would go to the trouble, you know, if they didn't have some other real hook. Um, And it's because they uh, needed Hillary to win to cover for all their other nefarious stuff, some of which have to do with allowing her server to be accessed by foreign powers. Um, with and paying money into the Clinton Foundation. Um, so at any rate, you know, and she's been known for her different things of blackmailing people pre-Trump era. So basically, that's the real reason. And wait, what are you saying? Is- that instead of so they did. They needed Hillary to win for that, but look, Hillary did not win, and none of that stuff is coming back to haunt her. Really, I mean, uh, a yeah, campaign yeah, promise yeah. was to lock her up, right? And it's been two years. I'm not calling well, for it. I'm just that's saying. That's what I'm about to. Oh, address. okay. Go ahead. Go. Give me the punchline. Because because um, the Mueller thing was put in place so there would be a, he could not do uh, obstruction. Uh, you know, if he indicted Hillary, indicted. Comey or any of these people and others, because this is much bigger than just that particular issue, um, he would uh, not be able to do it. it. It would be viewed as obstruction of justice. So that's the other reason. Why oh, I, uh, oh, I yeah. see what you're saying. They set him up so that what he if he were to do that, it would look like a reaction instead of just a right. campaign. Thing, right. Because he just right. Right. there were too many people inside. Who are against him, which is where you get the kind of Obama deep state theory. Right. And it switches why he never stopped it. But here's the other part of the conversation Hoover and uh, the other parts of the Justice Department had a team of 470 lawyers creating indictments simultaneous while uh, Mueller was doing this. You can look on who? Who was Who was doing that? Hoover. He is a prosecutor. I forget his official label, but he, uh, along with the, I guess the attorney general, uh, and he was sanctioned by Sessions to implement creating indictments on people. And like any real prosecution, you do not reveal what the indictments are okay i gotta stop you because i have to take a break maurice i'm sorry and i i think i kind of i'm not ready to buy that this is the this is the top of the pyramid i'm not ready to buy that what's going on here is really the ultimate power struggle between two parties because i don't believe in the partisanship john i want to hear your big payoff and we're gonna have lots of time to talk about it after the break and i'll give you my ideas too this is monica perez this is your last chance After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. 
and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. I am here live and local, 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I do go down the rabbit hole, but I just got a call from Maurice before the break, who was always down in the rabbit hole with me, maybe a little bit further or in a different rabbit hole, but I could get where he's coming from. And he thinks that, uh, if I understood correctly, that the Mueller probe was really about preventing Trump from going after Hillary by making it look like uh, he was just trying to stand in the way of their investigating him. But this kind of thinking really brings the whole thing down to a level of partisanship or Trump is Batman, where he's this superhero who somehow finagled his way into the White House. And I just I think that we aren't we haven't experienced what's called a paradigm shift. We have not changed the true power structure in this country. And that that would imply, like when they call the deep state Obama holdovers, that is not true. The deep state is who killed Kennedy, not who glued the keys down on the um, keyboard for Bush. Remember that when Clinton yielded to Bush, the staffers had like destroyed the White House offices. They glued the keys down they so it messed up keys. typing? Yes. So, like, <laughs> that would just mess people. It's just, like, pure partisanship. But I, I just don't think that's where the rubber hits the road. I think it's a much higher level thing where you can call them globalists, you can call them whatever. But there's a vision out there that you can see through the UN sustainability and all that of a highly controlled society where probably most of the means of production for our necessities, like land where you could grow your own food, are taken offline and you're all in cities. And I think we're talking about the Mueller report, but really the Electoral College and the other things that are going to be prompted by the crisis this is creating, air quotes, the uh, that that the vision includes, and the infrastructure of Trump, I bet, is going to fall in line with this. The Green New Deal falls in line with this. The uh, UN Agenda 2030 falls in line with this. It's that there are these sustainable cities. The the cities are where the action is, that you take people out of the of the rural areas, you take them out of the farmlands, and you put them into the cities where they are truly dependent. You even, like, don't have them have their own cars. Like, uh, driverless cars that are Ubers or whatever, you're not owning them. That's where we're moving. And here's the here's the real kicker. Unrelated to that vision, I thought, just thought about what the Electoral College would do if it were eliminated and yielded to a popular vote. So I was reading in one of the many articles that basically said the same thing over and over again. It would totally ignore Ohio, uh, Iowa farmers and Ohio factory workers. I thought, okay, what if it does that? What if it takes all the money at the federal level, subsidizes unskilled workers in or workers in the urban environments by subsidizing them? You give them basic income. You give them all their public transportation, all this kind of stuff, because you're just pandering to the urban areas with the Electoral College. fits right in with the basic income stuff, which is just give everybody a check. What that does is... It actually subsidizes the labor pool for what are probably, you know, what are increasingly government protected oligopolies. So businesses that 
function in a highly regulated environment so that startups can't really compete with the people who are already in that. Those That's called regulatory capture. They capture their own regulations. They capture the government. And so you have, if you have the popular vote, all the voting that makes a difference go to the urban centers because it's just one vote per person. So if you're a farmer or you're in Ohio and a factory, your needs are different. What you want is something different. But because of the nature of your business, your factory, your farm, it's more spread out. There are few people there who need those things, but they're essential elements of society, of the economy as it is. So when those people, and it even comes down to like where you spend infrastructure money, on metros or on interstate highways, you know, it's it's where are are you are you fostering road travel or air travel? Like what? And and if the federal government were limited as it's supposed to be under the Constitution, this stuff would not make the big difference. But it does. So what happens when you start penalizing the Iowa farmer and the Ohio factory worker? Will those guys stop doing what they're doing? And they st- maybe stop having kids because they just don't have the surplus for it, or their kids move to the cities where it's a better trade off. That fits right in with what I remember. I can't find it now, but I remember Clinton saying that the goal of NAFTA was to create uh, that the United States economy would be increasingly, if not and majority, if not 100 percent service oriented. It was meant to do that. So as the people move into these sustainable cities, you have this visionary society where you don't have people who can build things or grow things. And and that plays right into this idea of the high technology of robots. And that is pure central control. Like, you get what I mean? Is that too far? No, yeah. I see. They can't build things. They can't do things. But they can vote. Yeah, but, but all they're voting for, they're, they're, by that point, and I, it's not that I'm watching too much sci-fi. It's I see it. If you go and look at the World Economic Forum or the Sustainable City or the UN stuff, if you just go to those websites, it's all there. Yeah. It's all there, and they're talking about it. They have symposiums, and the headlines of the symposiums, like how to eliminate cars. Atlanta is one of the yes, main cities on the in that steering program. committee. Yeah, Kasim Reed was all over that stuff, and people didn't even realize it. I was just trying to figure out what those um, T-splossed and everything were all about, and I discovered all of these sustainable goals and how Atlanta had stepped up. For the U.N. to to on its own dime be a kind of leading city, an experimental city almost in this stuff. So that's like the very, very big picture. And John waits. I appreciate it, John. I want to hear what you I, I want. Bring us back down to earth, John, with your view of popular versus, versus electoral. You are on the air with Monica. OK, I'll make mine short. OK, if you have a popular vote, popular vote will lead to a single entity leader. So it'll be a group. It can be the Democrats, it could be the Republicans, it could be everyone. You'll have one power. They'll be making the rules. Okay? Yep. At the point the people are tired of listening to those people, they'll rise up. When the socialism, because that's the direction you're headed, socialism if you pull the Democrats. You know, one leader will go to socialism. Socialism does not work, and I'll describe socialism in a very simple terms. You're my child. And you want Alexis, but I don't want to give you Alexis, so you have to go work for it. There becomes a point where the government says, well, we don't have the money to give you. Who are we going to take it from? Once you start taking money from people like me who have saved all their life and retired, I'm not going to let you. I would burn every dime I own 
before I've let the government take it away from me. But that's what they want to do. So you lead to socialism. You create chaos. Well, then the government comes and says, wait a minute, we can't have this. So we're going to tell you what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it. What is that? That's communism when somebody tells you when, where, and how to jump. Yeah, and I'll, so I'll Step say, away from communism. There's two now, things that I – go ahead. You, want, you can finish. And now, you can decide any way you want, okay? Socialism cannot work. It will never work. It doesn't physically – it is impossible to work. Communism doesn't either because no matter what you say, there's going to be somebody in charge. There will always be somebody right. who tells somebody, somebody owns what the to property. do. It's just not you. Somebody's going to tell you what to do. Right. right. People don't like to be told what to do. Those right. millennials that think socialism wonderful and they're going to get this free paycheck and this free this and they're free this. As soon as there is no free because there's no money. If I'm paying 50% of my money working and 50% of my money is going to give you a free job or a free work or a free salary, I don't want to work anymore. Well, it is possible. So I'm not John, going to work. That... You're going to pay me. It is, you won't have any money. It is possible that there's no that there is a paradigm shift underway where the people who did work all their lives and would revolt against it are are not the culture, the forward looking culture that maybe millennials or the iGen who are glued to their phones or whatever. They haven't made it yet, so they're not going to resist taking it away. They're the ones who think they're going to get it with free college. And that kind of thing. Then you have, so when they talk about the basic income, which I really feel is going hand in hand with this popular vote movement, just in my gut, those people are are going to give up. They, they are saying the reason they want the basic income is that is that robots and other technology is going to replace human beings who are workers. So... So then what what are you looking at? You're looking at what Kissinger called useless eaters. It, and there has been euthanasia and genocide in the past for people who are perceived as useless groups. Could be economic, could be ethnic. And then there's also slavery. So if you have a basic income and you don't want to work, but work needs to be done still because there's a robot for everything, they need to tell you what to do. And you can't quit. There was a, there was a, a law in the books in England after World War II like that. So I don't think they activated it, but you're talking about totalitarian situations. Now, we I want to talk about the basic income thing if we get to it today uh, because people on the right also advocate for it, but I think it's a setup. And I do want to talk more about the, uh, the Mueller report. The people we're talking about here, Mueller, Barr, uh, the, the reason I said earlier that I don't think there's any there there the only Russian bots that have been proven to exist were Democrat operatives. Do you remember Binkley and I did a show about that? We'll, we'll remind you of that coming up. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. This is Monica Perez. Uh Binkley and I were just dishing on the commercial that all these like implications of if we switch from the electoral college to the popular vote. And I want to, I mean, there's just really, 
what I was saying before the break, that if you peel the onion a little bit and think about what happens next stage, it really has a, will have a massive social engineering impact. I thought of a couple more things as we were going back and forth, but I want to get to the calls too. So um, I'll get to our new thoughts at the bottom of the hour. Right now, I want to get to some calls, 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to Robert. Robert, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I like the idea of the Electoral College, but I like the way that Maine and Minnesota do it, where they don't apportion all of the votes to that state, but they apportion, uh, I believe the way Maine does it is they apportion two votes to the winner and then one apiece to the congressional district. And I I think think, do they do it like that or do they do it? Do they do? So you're saying they they do the congressional district gets the vote that the popular vote in that district. Yeah. Right. And Uh then the senators go with what the popular the majority of the state. Right. Yeah, I guess that's how it works. I mean, I'm calling them the senators, but like Rhode Island has three electoral votes, which correspond to a congressman and two senators, something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think Maine has two. Too many. Yeah. Um. Con- congressional districts and two other votes. Right. Which so are, they have four total. To the center. So, yeah, and I so think the Minnesota way, does the same way. If you read, I think, the, I think the Constitution still says it like this, and this is how it was in the beginning. The states get to decide how the electoral system works for them. And until, exactly. you know, in the beginning, it, the popular vote wasn't even a factor. And until the, until after the civil war, South Carolina still did not appoint its electors in a popular fashion. That's and right. I, and I was reading about the origin of it and it says that it was meant, uh, it wasn't really meant to be popular to the point where I believe the electors did not meet in DC. They met in their mm-hmm. states and they sent their votes to D.C. So there was absolutely no way you were going to have even a majority of electors. People keep citing John Quincy Adams as the first person who didn't win the popular vote and became president. There wasn't even a popular vote. He didn't win the Electoral College and he became president. Mm-hmm. Wrap your mind around that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so what do you think of that? Yeah. Uh, do you yeah. think it would be, I mean, I I, realize, I agree with you, it is up to the states. But um, do you like the idea of the states doing it that way? I, you- yeah, sorry, I have to cut to a break. Um, let me ponder that over the uh, break and let you know what I think at the bottom of the hour. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's a man On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB Saturdays from 3 to 6. We are talking about the Mueller investigation and what I think are the implications of that, which is calls to eliminate the Electoral College and to censor social media for political speech. Those are the two things I think are coming from this attempt to delegitimize the president. Uh, which happens, I think, every presidency, basically. It has for a while. And then I further appealed the onion to say, what would happen if you got rid of the Electoral College? And I have some real ideas about that, but whether we've got a lot to cover. Before the break, a caller asked me if I like the way Maine, for example, splits their electoral votes according to uh, how their congressional district 
voted popularly. And I would say I'm a big fan of states' rights. You should be able to do it however you want, however you want to do it in your state. But I think it's probably not a good idea because a president who wants to be reelected probably cares a lot more about Ohio than they care about Maine. And not only because Maine has few votes, but because even the votes they have will not be concentrated. A swing state puts all their eggs in one basket, and you want that basket. So I just feel like it wouldn't probably catch on because it's not in the best uh, interest of the of that state as a whole, which may have more common aligned interests than they do with the federal. But Binkley, my uh, researcher and sidekick and producer... You uh, have been following a movement. What's it called again? The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. It's more more popular than I thought. Tell me real quick what what that is. Well, it's an agreement that states can opt into, and once they reach once they reach two hundred and seventy electorals, so that many states that equal that amount of le- of electorals opt into it, then. It enacts, and what happens then is those states agree that they will give their electorals to the popular vote winner. So they can create a popular vote situation winner because even if all the other states voted differently, they had just they had that's like one a swing block basically. Yes, and okay, twelve states and the District of Columbia have. Have adopted it. The most recent, I believe, was Colorado, and they have 181 electorals that they have, represent. 181. Yeah. Well, to me, that's really disenfranchising who you are. I mm-hmm. mean, your own people. So I would think that only people who are aligned with those urban centers in their interests would want to sign up for that. Yeah, and they're pushing that hard because that's a way to subvert the electoral without having to amend the Constitution. And the urban centers, it's that it's that barbell of like kind of socialism and fascism where you pay off the lower classes, but that actually subsidizes the government-connected rich because I think of it that way anyway. Like I think of Obamacare. Yes, it feeds insurance companies, but it also makes it so that corporations that might otherwise have to entice people with health benefits don't have to. The taxpayer subsidizing it instead of the company. And that's the kind of thing, even public transportation, I think of like that. You really don't have to, like the subsistence wage is much lower. You don't need a minimum wage. You just need to have a labor force that can show up to work healthy and clean. And if you're not paying that, you're going to have to start paying that or you're not going to get your labor force. But the more services they put in, infrastructure they subsidize, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm not for any of that. I'm for a, a purely free market, which would without – then the government goes ahead and keeps barriers to entry up that keep the competition down for those oligopolies. And uh, everybody wins, you know, but who's who's suffering? Really, it would be the middle class that pays a big tax bill and doesn't and has a car like doesn't need that other stuff. And those people will have to kind of uh, if they're smart, their economic interest will be to gravitate towards one or the other group, probably the working class group. It'll be bottom heavy anyway. So but two other things I thought of that would happen if you switch from electoral to popular. One is, and I think I think this was 
is true, but if it's not, it's it, it's a hypothetical. But I believe it was true that a contributing factor to the start of the Civil War was, I could be wrong about it, but in any case, the hypothetical works, the North enacted tariffs against the import of British textiles or whatever. The, because the North had a disproportionate ability to vote, to legislate, they could control the legislatures, they enacted a tariff from British textiles. So the British market collapsed or the British got less and therefore demanded less cotton from the South, which made the price of cotton plummet and made the North able to buy cheaper cotton from the South, enriching the North at the expense of the South. Now, even if that isn't exactly what happened, that is the danger. So what do you do? You actually collapse the region that didn't have the have the weight. And that is basically what happened in the South. And we got rid of slavery along the way, which is fantastic. Might have happened anyway without firing a shot as it did in other places. But... Uh, so I'm not opining on that. I'm just saying if that if you're trying to change the economy or collapse a region like Ohio factory workers or Iowa farmers and you start enacting things that penalize them, their system is going to disappear because they're not going to have the ability to actually correct that. And then they're going to disperse or adopt your system. And then the other thing is there are these human rights agencies. It's called the human rights industry. There are private companies that place refugees and immigrants and what they do, I believe it works this way, they will get a group of people like I think Cape Verde Islands feeds Brockton, Massachusetts. And they they just help set up communities of immigrants in different places. So if you and the government, I believe the federal government pays for it, even though they're private companies. So if you if you don't have any regional representation, you could and and say the coastal places get a lot of immigration in. They maybe they want immigration because it lowers wages, let's say, but they don't want to host so many. So they will they can funnel that uh, immigrant communities into the regions. Perhaps I'm just saying these are these are just ideas of like how you could actually have a great social and cultural impact on the country. It could be a great tool for social engineering if you had regions that emptied out or were powerless. And then you could even conduct social experiments in those places. I just feel like the implication of eliminating electoral college goes a lot deeper than people are thinking. Uh, anyway, so let's, let's hit some calls. I'm going to Glenn. Glenn, you're on with Monica. It's a pleasure and honor to speak with you, Monica. Uh, riding on the coattails of what you just said, uh, after several cycles of not having uh, electoral college, I can see that certain geographical areas would be in an uproar because of lack of representation. And I can actually see circumstances similar to 1860, where these areas could possibly uh, be looking at secession and uh, with slavery in reverse, because these populated areas are subsidizing workers and people like that. And that's creating a slave class all in its own right now. And so there, I think there's a Huh? Tax slavery, like tax slavery. Yes. Yeah, they'd be they'd be uh, stuck with the system there, and they'd have to uh, go along with it. And I think there's a large group of people that would be uh, very much jaded that they're not getting proper representation. That's and that could call for secession. Yes. Yeah. See, I didn't. I I guess I recognize what you're saying, and I and I when I look at the new generations, I feel like the between the the 
influence of the media and electronics and the schooling, I'm not sure the next generation who would be looking at this would kind of have the gumption to uh, ask for regional sovereignty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if they would actually do it, but I, I appreciate the idea. And I think that may be the next step. And, I, and if it were abrupt and those changes were obvious, but a lot of times these things will happen slowly, incrementally. Like, I always feel like the whole world basically is losing their gun rights. But the jackboots can't clamp down until they get ours. So people are like, oh, look what happened in Australia. Nothing bad happened there. So now it's happening in New Zealand. Like, it'll be fine. They, the government will not abuse their unfettered power. But I'm saying they keep that stuff at bay until it's too late. Like, there are cameras everywhere, cameras on every street corner looking for supposedly people running red lights. Well, they can see everything. They could t- ticket you for talking on the phone uh, in your car, any of that. But they do not show their hand that they you are under constant surveillance. If they start sending you 10 tickets a day for all the little things you're doing wrong, taking your hands off the wheel or whatever, you'd be wise to it. And you wouldn't let them continue to build out the total surveillance state. They they wait for it to be turnkey, and then they're going to turn the key. So I don't know if they're going to, if they'll give us that chance to fight back. Uh, I am going to go to, is it Mike? I think Mike. Mike, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica, it's Mike. Uh, um, well, I, too, am glad you're back. Uh, anyway, um, uh, I was just uh, uh, going to say that uh, very simply that I think the Mueller investigation basically would have happened uh, if an outsider, other than Trump, say on the Democratic side, would have happened as well. I think that's the whole point was if, if you're not in the political family, so to speak, because I think it's pretty much all one anyway, um, that uh, if you're going to be an outsider and come in here, this is what you're going to see the whole time you're here. And I, I think that's, you know, pure, pure and simple. And I mean, I know other things probably came about during that, but they had to do something. You can't let this outsider come in and, and run a country as it was designed to be done. Um, it's, it, I think that's pure and simple. That, what, uh, was, yeah, that's an that interesting, interesting idea. So I guess, uh, Either, you know, it could be punishment, it could be keeping him in line, it could be a deterrent to future upstarts not to get out of line, even if my uh, skepticism about Trump's authenticity is well-placed or misplaced. It still could be a, a disincentive to wade into that. But Maurice, who ca- called earlier is back on the phone. I think I think he's going to slap me down. I don't know. Let's see after the break. Hang on, Maurice. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. If you're just tuning in, we've been talking about the Mueller report. And Maurice, one of my favorite callers, was going down a rabbit hole. I'm not in. So he's calling back. To are you defending your your rabbit hole? Or are you trying to drag me into it, Maurice? <laughs> no, I was just uh, well. <laughs> uh, I guess I am defending it, but um, I, uh, you know, like you, have been going down these rabbit holes since nine eleven to a serious degree, and uh, you know, I'd say up until you know a year or so ago, I was totally depressed 
that the uh, Agenda 21s and all of that stuff was going to be totally implemented. And so what I'm getting at here is that if you don't think that it can be better, I know you know you are part of the solution. You know, free speech is. And uh, what I'm saying is that, you know, you can't not think it's going to get better, which is basically as you see all these different corruptions happening, um, you know, it it puts a damper on the, the creative spirit of, of humanity. Yes. Um, no, I got to so, say, like, like false hope is bad, but hopelessness is a sin. Exactly. And uh, so I just think uh, there is hope. And I've, I've never been more hopeful uh, in my whole life that things are changing for the better. I mean, just, uh, you know, take this uh, harebrained concept. And, of course, Trump is uh, uh, twists everybody's brain around because they, they've been so radicalized. But, you know, that he – I believe he's seriously – going to try and take down the Federal Reserve. So, you know, it's that big of a deal that well, I'm I have a question I'm for you, Maurice. Cause yeah. Sorry, because I'm going to run out of time. And I really want to ask this question. So maybe I don't have faith in Trump, but with very little reservation, I mean, there's always a chance. You see a little hand sign here or there. But uh, Ron Paul, were you – I mean, I was smoking his Kool-Aid. I kind of still am. I love Ron, Ron Paul. Ron, I was definitely a Ron Paul guy. Okay. And I, you know, I voted for him the whole nine yards. But the thing is, the the corruption is much worse than what you're even discussing. And uh, so it has to be dealt with differently. And, and you know, I don't, uh, you know, whether you want to subscribe to this, but I totally think that Trump is not doing this on his own. Just, you know, people talk about everybody being a puppet. I don't think a a, a uh, you know, Trump is a front for a group of people that decided to change from the corruption. Um, and, you know, the story is that there are 23 generals that talk to him, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if you heard any of this kind of thing. I can't. The, uh, yeah. No, I don't. I don't know. the. I, I have to go to a hard break, but I do not know. The what's supposedly the real story behind all that, all those. I'll try to have an open mind and I'll try to be less hopeless. Thanks for calling back, Maurice. And uh, okay, we're going to get into you. some more of the labyrinth after the break. This is Monica Perez. Please take my hand. Now open your mind to me. Please open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. Can I go you one bigger? And that is, I believe we need a constitutional amendment that protects the right to vote for every American citizen and to make sure that vote gets counted. We need to put some federal muscle behind that. And we need to repeal every one of the voter suppression laws that is out there right now. I wrote, this is Monica Perez 
uh, your libertarian voice on WSB. But I had, that's Elizabeth Warren, obviously, if you can't tell. And I tweeted, like, a quote of hers. And I didn't, like, write that it was from her or whatever. I quit, put quotation marks and said, oh, boy. I was abused on Twitter because you're like, what are you talking about? Abolish electoral college federal. I was just like, yeah. no, it was a quote. Anyway, so thank you for that, Binkley. And uh, so I just want to point out what she's saying. It, it would, if you have, if you get rid of the electoral college and it's popular vote, you're really taking it completely out of the hands of the states, in which case it has to be federal. It has to be a federal election. And I am pretty sure you're not writing your vote down on a piece of paper, putting it in a shoebox and walking that shoebox down to City Hall to see it get counted with your own eyes. So it just becomes an act of faith and what that's completely gone. And when it's so when you eliminate these layers, it's just like federal policing versus local policing. I feel like there's nobody to watch the watchers like that to me is a very important checks and balance if like the feds come in and do something screwy like you hear like national pedophile rings sometimes the local cops step in and vice versa if the local cops are real bad feds will come in similarly with the elections people will there's people looking in both directions but that would be over yeah they claim to want to do these things too because they want to give more people a voice. That's what they all say. I want to give more people a, a voice in this country, but that's not what they're doing at all. They're they're actually going to give more people their voice is what they're really doing. <laughs> right. And my feeling about democracy is that it's not about giving people a voice. It's about making people think they have a voice. Yep. So so what you're saying, and I'm agreeing with you, is that if you switch to the popular vote, you would give and, and this is what it says over and over. If you're looking for the pros and cons of the Electoral College or the popular vote, repeatedly it'll say as a pro of the popular vote that it gives people the feeling that their vote counts. Yeah. And that, that goes with my idea about democracy being the opiate of the masses. It, it makes you feel good that you have consented to your tyranny that the idiot across the street is voting for these morons who or maybe it's your moron maybe you like it you know and then people get uh they, it's just about and when you see about like even trump's elect uh, executive order on election integrity and other studies think tanks they always talk about enhance voter confidence in the election process yeah, I mean, it, confidence is a con game. Yeah, that's a con. That's what con. That's that puts the con in con game. It's a confidence game, and that's why democracy. You can have. I think I read. I, I don't know if this is true, but I def, I'm sure I read it in a Hans Hermann Hoppe book that the 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 uh, taxation rate in a monarchy is like five percent, and in a democracy, it's like thirty five percent because you you think you're consenting. God, what are you laughing at? What are you snickering I, what at? What was that name you just said? Hans Hermann Hoppe. <laughs> what the heck? You don't know? Oh, Binkley, you should not be laughing. No, just that name. You're going to get Maurice to call and say, who are you to laugh at Hans Hermann He He picked up the torch from Murray Rothbard. He's a he's your classic anarcho-capitalist. He's the premier anarcho-capitalist in the world. Yeah. So he wrote Democracy, the God That Failed, which agreed with me. I was blown away by this book because... I thought the real pivot, the turning point where the American experiment was lost forever was World War One, And he said that, too. So people will say, like, was it the Civil War? Was it this or that? But 
That's when the JFK. British subverted us and yes. coaxed us into and, the war. And I wasn't even thinking about that when I when I realized that that was just just when democracy kind of took over the world of this facade of democracy at the expense of objective rights. Uh, but what ha- what I realize now, which I'd, I've read over the years, but I'm putting it all together, is that right then is when the IRS came into play and the Fed. So they started inflating money. They started uh, taxing income. They started engaging in foreign wars. And all of that uh, does does play into the British dominion that you're thinking about because there were more German descendants of Germans in this country than British. So there was an actual possibility that we would enter World War One on the side of the Germans, and there were German banking interests that were in conflict with the English banking. So it was really a struggle between those powers here. And they also say that the Fed is really there as a backstop for the European Central Banks, which is exactly how it worked in 2008. If you look into it, all the trillions of dollars, I think it was, that changed hands over that uh, those the real crisis, it was to shore up European banks, which is why we didn't find out about that till after the crisis was not really audited, but a little bit of forensics were done. But, you know, it gets too, like people don't, the fiat money thing is too complicated. You can't really get people fired up about it. But but I believe that uh, on AOS, on uh, Sandy Ocasio, whatever, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's site, when they talk about the Green New Deal, they're like, how are you going to pay for it? It's like, just like they pay for everything else. You know, you just print money. <laughs> it's just print, expand the money supply. So anyway, let's not get into that. So, all right. Um, I wanted to talk about... Oh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Mueller before I, I, I wanted to, I, I have a couple of vote things that you should turn me on to about like lowering the voting age and the beginning of that Elizabeth Warren quote is somebody asking a question mm-hmm. and in her question, she lays out what they're looking for voting wise. Yeah. And you also gave me a blurb on HB1, the very first bill that Congress uh, put forth this year, the session. And that has details of what they're really after voting-wise. But before we moved on from the Mueller thing, I wanted to point out, I saw some crazy tweets, uh, which surprised me, but they did not surprise you. Can you read those tweets to me about Mueller, some people sucking up? Yeah. Joe Walsh says— Not the Joe Walsh. It's a different Joe Walsh. Okay. He got a, I, I saw him. He looks younger than he is, so maybe maybe it is the Joe Walsh. He says, so I'll just say it again. Thank you, Robert Mueller, for completing your work. Thank you once again for serving your country. <laughs> I'm laughing because I actually know. I've, I've done the cursory research on Robert Mueller, and anybody, anybody who wants to do that is not writing a tweet like that in all seriousness. Yeah, he's not really a... Uh... A patriot, as they are painting him to be. No. You want to hear the other one? Yes. I this guess. one's from Seth Abrams Abramson, who is um, uh, he's a con artist, basically. But he Wait, says you can't ju- that sounds defamatory. I don't know who that person is. I, I followed him research. on Twitter, and he wrote yes, this whole book on all the evidence you ever need on Russian collusion. Okay, and it might right. as well be about outer space aliens. Okay. 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 He says, Mueller and all his attorneys and investigators deserve our thanks for nearly two years of (laughs) thankless hard work. They are patriots. 
whatever they have concluded and whether we agree with their conclusions or not and whether we ever see everything they found, they deserve thanks nevertheless. Okay, because Mueller's a solid citizen, right? Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Okay. So I don't I don't remember what show this was, but we definitely dug in to Mr. Mueller. Uh, and I have just some bullets from that show where Mueller and Comey, first of all, they set their bones, their bona fides, by falling on their sword against <clears throat> warrantless wiretaps in the Bush administration. So now we know Comey and Mueller are our heroes. But uh, not everybody found them to be heroes. Mm-hmm. The two of them falsely accused a man in the anthrax case. Remember the anthrax thing after 9-11? Yes. Uh, that guy got a multi-million dollar settlement from the government because it was so out of line with what these guys are doing. They make legitimate mistakes. They don't get people don't get settlements when the government makes a like a reasonable error. So okay, so that was one. We all know Comey his uh identification of the Ramsey rapist as the wrong guy cost uh the government money too. That's mm-hmm. still on that. That's Comey's backstory. Then he lied about it on CNN Town Hall. Like recently. I don't know. Uh, Mueller, according to an article at the time in Time magazine, uh, Mueller effectively framed a Libyan guy for Pan Am 103 over Lockerbie. That that uh, Time magazine said that thing could have been or was a CIA hit on a potential whistleblower from the defense intelligence agency. I'm like choking on even saying it because it's so... Uh, such a serious allegation. So I'm just going to once again say that I read that in a Time magazine article from that time frame. Ultimately, that Libyan was released. It looked like a hardship case, but it might have been a question of justice. I don't know. Well, you see he released him, though. Well, he wasn't. He was in jail, like, over there, I think. Okay, I got I to gotta take a break, but let me give you a couple more. He, uh, an FBI whistleblower, Colleen Rowley, uh, said Mueller and Comey, I think she exposed that Mueller and Comey suppressed evidence of Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11. And the last thing I will say is Mueller, uh, the, the, Mueller was instrumental in getting the conviction of four falsely accused men in a, in a, to cover up a Whitey Bulger crime. The government had to pay $101 million, and Mueller even went so far as to write letters to the parole board asking for those guys who were exonerated not to be released. Very serious allegations against this guy. I don't trust him. Not trying to throw him under the bus. I'm just trying to say I would not trust him. I, <laughs> I'm going to get to some calls after the break. 800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. I'm not interested in fantasy. I'm interested in... On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. So I wanted to just point out why I don't have a lot of faith in the Mueller report, which is what it's going to come down to. I think Barr is going to, Attorney General Barr is going to add flames to the fire by releasing incomplete and ambiguous stuff. I think, didn't you, don't you expect uh, Mueller to be on the hot seat, Pinkley? Yes, I expect to see the Mueller congressional hearing that's going to be a circus, probably sometime this summer. And uh, Cortez is going to be just grilling them. 
She should, you know, you ever see like her like little videos and everything is all like staged and funky. And I feel like she should challenge him to a rap contest, you know? <laughs> she, she might have her work cut out for her. Rapper I heard Mueller really knows how to drop a beat. <laughs> Just this, the level of the uh, theatrical elements, especially surrounding her. Just everybody's going to submit their time to her. There was a headline on Fox News. I mean, they completely play into her image as well, saying, whoa, Trump, Trump better watch out. Uh, AOC used this SAT word on him. She called him a nematode. Yeah. Which somebody on Twitter pointed out to me that she probably just got it from SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think she's stupid. She's not stupid. This no, is her no, whole no. thing. It's Sandy from the block. That's her shtick. But she's the bartender thing, the waitressing thing. She may or may not have had jobs like that. But I recently tweeted a mini biography of her from real mini from uh, a BU speaking panel she was on. She returned to Boston University in 2013. And it was all about... Uh, Things she started up, important things she was doing. She was just completely legit. Like, there's no, it just doesn't fit with her timeline at all. We have to do a special report on her. I'm, I'm compiling uh, the whole AOC in a nutshell, Sandy from the block in a nutshell. So, after the break, I want to talk about lowering the voting age to 16 or 17 and eliminating other voting requirements, what I what I think is really going on there. You can give me a call, 800-WSB-TALK, or tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6 for the duration. I usually make way for UJ Sports, but uh, they're over, uh, sadly. But uh, anyway, we are here for three hours on Saturdays live. Open to calls, 404-872-0750 or 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I want to know, we're going to talk about this. There are a lot of proposals out there to lower the voting age to 17 or even 16. You in favor of that? Do you want the voting age to be lowered to 16? Uh, Give me a call, 800-WSB-TALK. And in the meanwhile, Binkley, my producer here, uh, a couple of things that... Oh, before we move on, I had mentioned that the only Russian bots that have ever been proven to disrupt a campaign were uh, Democratic operatives, the very people who wrote the report on Russian bots for the Senate mm-hmm. called New Knowledge. You want to, I don't know if people remember, we did a show on this. It it absolutely cost Roy Moore his election. And, and they brag about it in their documents. Yeah, so give me a little, I, I the project was Summarize. called Project Birmingham, and it was a false flag operation where these Democratic operatives created fake Russian bots to link them to Roy Moore, um, so it looked like the Russians were supporting him to help him beat or help him uh, help Doug Jones beat him. Also, if I recall correctly, they put really extreme conservative stuff that made him sound kooky. Yes. They did that on, on Facebook. On Facebook, and they, and those those. 
sites were shut down, like those sources of advertising, right? The CEO, yes, the CEO of New Knowledge, his name is Jonathan Morgan. He used to work for DARPA. His Facebook page. DARPA, the Defense Research Program. His Facebook page, and this is the guy who led led the authoring of the Senate Intel report. His Facebook page is he was suspended because of spreading fake news. And this was financed by Reid Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So, so what they what they did was they not only cost Roy Moore the election, but whether they're fake Russian bots or real Russian bots. They are adding to the clamor to get social media suppressed, Facebook and Twitter to get suppressed, yes. From, yes, especially are. from views that are outside the central message. When you see stories in the news that say Russian bots are linked to so-and-so, like, like there was one recently that they said uh, Russian bots were supporting Tulsi Gabbard. This was like – The um, Hawaiian? Yes, this was like a month ago. The person that they quoted, the expert – was Jonathan Morgan. So he's the expert in all of these articles. And he's the only person who's ever been outed as an actual Russian bot, right? Bingo. <laughs> and I actually got an email, I think you got it too, and I read it on the air at the time, from Twitter saying, just so you know, we're not going to tell you what, what accounts it is, but we want you to know that you have been flagged for associating with Russian bots on Twitter. But we're not going to tell you which accounts it is. So you can't unassociate with them, but we're just telling you this is a warning, which is very similar to what I got from WordPress a year before they took me off WordPress. Dang. <laughs> anyway, so I just want people to be reminded of this stuff because we'll be like, oh, Mueller report, Mueller report. It's like, you know what? The, the Senate report was written by the Russian bot. <laughs> and this is. Open information is out there, hard evidence that nobody right. talks about. They're, they admitted it because they got people in a room and they told them not to talk about it, and then they cackled about it and plotted how they were going to do it again. And some, like, well-meaning person was horrified and told. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, so what? So, a few. I, I want to get back to a few of these things that are changes that are coming down. Or are at least desired by the Democrats on voting. And when you see bills like HB1, which the stuff I saw on HB1, which was the first bill that this Congress put out there about voting, the stuff I saw was stuff I actually like, you know, like auditable, transparent ballots. <clears throat> I didn't see any of the stuff that you uh, sent me evidence of. I didn't read the whole thing. I didn't read the actual thing. I wasn't doing a full scale research on this. Besides those things are so, those bills are so long. It's really impossible. So full of gobbledygook. It's really impossible to be an educated voter, which means that anything that you can't as an educated voter assess, it argues against both direct democracy and government being involved in those things there. You just cannot have a representative government. If you don't know what, how to direct your representatives, you can't get educated on it, even if you wanted to. So that's, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what they want from the vote. One thing that we were talking about, they definitely want to lower the voting age for me. What, what do you think about that? Pinkley? About lowering the voting yes, age? Yes. To 16. 
I think that's one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. I think they should raise it, and I think you should have to pass a critical thinking test to, yeah. take, to vote. Raise it to 35. Why not? I mean, it doesn't really disenfranchise. Although, oh, my gosh, a couple of years ago, I actually said in my What to Watch Out For in the future that the one dialectic, untapped dialectic, was old versus young. I said that is one one bone of contention, of conflict that was un, underexploited. So here it is. Yeah. But I cut you off. You finish your thought. Yeah, I think people should have to pass a critical thinking test. I personally will not vote for a race if I don't feel like I'm informed on who the candidates are. But you are. can't you can't ask them to administer tests because if you think the first thing they would ask is, uh, have you ever heard a conspiracy theory you thought might be true? And then they would lock you up. Not only would you not be able to vote. They'd lock your family up. They'd lock your family up. They'd eradicate your bloodline. So, uh, so anyway, it's just it's so it's funny because it's true. <laughs> so uh, I want people to hear what what they have in store. So I actually never play the question. I really do not like the question when you do a Q and A. But that Elizabeth Warren call for an amendment and federal muscle in the election process was preceded by a question in which the questioner, supposedly somebody from the audience, reading a very well-crafted question it's so it's so theatrical but the question really tells tells you what they're after and what they want and what they're going to get so let's let's play that clip one how will you expand voting rights to the formerly incarcerated ensure online voter registration and non-excuse early voting all right so those are a few things that so if you're a felon uh you can't vote. I actually, I think all that kind of stuff should be at the state level. And that's why you want the electoral college. Because if you don't have the electoral college and you do have a popular vote that's run by the feds, all those laws have to be consistent. They all have to be run at the federal level. The voter ID, the idea. So if California wants illegal immigrants to vote. They they can use their electoral college that way if they want. I don't I I mean, you don't even have to wade into that because if they want to do it like that, let them do it like that. They have a limited number of electoral votes. They're running their state the way they want to. And if you want if you don't want any qualifications for voting except for that you be present, then you don't need voter ID laws. But if you have a voter ID law, you have to actually be able to enforce it. No law is a real law. I mean, they're struck down in court. Laws are struck down in court solely on the grounds that they cannot be enforced. So if you're not going to enforce law, it's not a real law. So then what they're saying is just being present. And then they go on. One of the one of the requirements in this HB1 was that you should be able to vote in a, in a voting place other than your own, which means not only are you do you just have to be present, you can vote as many times as you want. And I remember a long time ago when I was in California voting, I asked the, I think I asked the poll person, what if I, I gave her my name, she took it, and then she, I, and she marked it off and she said, you can vote. I said, is that, that's a really big list. Is that just for this polling place? She's like, no, everybody has a list. I said, well, so what if someone were to vote in my name in a different polling place where, where you didn't physically mark off that I was here? I said, oh, well, we would reconcile that at the end of the day. <laughs> I was like, but are you writing down who I voted for? Are you going to uncount my vote? Do you know which one of us is the real one? Because I don't didn't give you my license. She's like, yeah, we'll figure all that out. Yeah. She's like, oh, 
we take that very seriously. <laughs> I was like, really? And then what do you do about it? Nothing. So that's bad. Uh, somebody wants to chime in on the voting age thing. So I'm going to let him do it. Jonathan, you are on with Monica. What do you think about lowering the voting age to 16? I think it's better because I don't want it to be any higher than it is. It wouldn't be higher. It would be a lot lower or a couple of years lower than it is. Nixon made it 18, and now it would be 16. Is that okay with you, 16-year-old voting? Yes. Thanks. Why is that better? Because, because, I don't know, because that's a great idea because that's what I want. Okay, did Jonathan. Did you call earlier, Jonathan? He did. He did. He did. I think somebody's putting him up to it. So, anyway, I think, I, personally, I'm okay with one age of majority. If you want people to be 16 or 18 or 21 as adults, I'm okay with whatever it is. But you can't, I would say, you can't be drafted. You can't drink. You can't drive. Uh, you can't vote, you can't emancipate yourself or whatever, drop out of school, or you can, whatever it is, pick the age and do it. Don't pick and choose the age for political purposes. That's And I, I personally think that you should at least have to get a paycheck <laughs> before you cast your first vote because the whole world changes. Pay, first paycheck and your first kid, I would say, your perspective changes. Yeah. And the push should not be to vote, 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 vote. It should be um, get informed, get informed, get informed. I would go even one step further, and I would say defend your rights, whether at the ballot box or any other way. Read your Bill of Rights. Understand them. They are nonpartisan. If you think one of the Bill of Rights works against your party, there's something wrong with your party. <laughs> so think hard about it. And try to, because that's our only hope is the Bill of Rights. And it does not matter who's at the top. It doesn't matter what's going on behind the scenes. It doesn't matter if somebody's a racist. It doesn't matter if somebody's like a God's gift to humanity. If we have our rights and protections and our government is limited, as the Constitution prescribes, then there is a very limited amount of damage. that. But we got to keep our eye on that ball. So let's wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Everything she said was true. She knew Nobody believed her. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We are wrapping it up. I want. I was asking if uh, people are in favor of these numerous proposals to lower the voting age to 17 or even 16. I'm going to take uh, last call of the day goes to Andy. Andy, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Hey. I was thinking about it after and I thought, yeah, I mean, you can look at it that if they are going to be under an administration as an adult at 18, and if they voted 16 at a presidential election, they'll at least be voting for somebody that will actually, you know, be their president that, you know, they actually get, I don't want to say a subject of, but <laughs> they It's they they're are, represented by it, and they should, yeah, that's an interesting comment. And, you know, let me take it one step further and say... By that reasoning, maybe you agree with me that the national debt is uh, taxation without representation because it will be inherited by people who did not vote for it. No, but the people, when it was accumulated, they were represented. You know, the people that did accumulate it were represented that 
you know, did increase the debt. But they can't pay it back. They're they are voting for somebody else to pay. It's similar to what you're saying. Like if you're 16 and you're going into being 18 and you're going to have to be a subject to this person, you you need to be participating in how whatever you are subject to gets decided on. So the debt would make that person future people who are subject to repaying the debt or or suffer bankruptcy. But they right. but they had nowhere near any kind of representation. None. I mean, and I know you can look at it on another scale too. And I know I believe by listening to you, you probably supported the fetal heartbeat thing. And if they're allowing uh, under that, you can actually claim before a child's born an exemption on your taxes. Well, if you're able to claim an exemption on taxes for a baby that isn't born yet. That's like, well, I want to vote before I'm 18 and legal. So you've got that thing, too, where logically you can look at it that. Dude, I, I thank you very much. I got to take – I'm all over. The show's over. I got to let you go. But, Binkley, okay. I have to point out that I always say this. Like, never take a call at the end because some major issue <laughs> that you have to, like – we need to talk the next three hours about this. It's going to come up. And they always start with, from listening to you, I think I know that you, yeah. and then I'm like, got to go. <laughs> so <laughs> how does a person answer that? Somebody call me and uh, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. In front of my bum. So I cannot uh, respond to that very large topic. I am not in favor of a voting age of 16. I'm in favor of a single majority. And I'll talk to you next week, Saturday, 3 to 6. This is Monica Perez.